Hello everyone and welcome back to Local Legends with Lark Farley. I'm your host, Lark. A little bit about the podcast. If you're new, basically I share with you all stories that took place in my small hometown, Brown County in Indiana. These stories range from true crime to the paranormal and everywhere in between. If you'd like to share your own hometown stories, you can email me at locallegendswithlark at gmail.com. As always, all of the articles used in today's episode are linked in the description should you want to read them for yourself. All right, let's get into it, shall we? Today's episode is a sad one, okay? I'm going to preface it by saying that. It, you know, it's been a while since we've gone back to a nice old uh, homicide case, and by nice, I mean not at all, because they, you know, homicide means someone's life is taken by another person. And Brown County, as we all know here on this podcast, has a whole lot of homicide cases. They have to deal with guns, um, lots of shootings in Brown County, typically over property line disputes. So we love that. And by love that, I mean it's tremendously terrible. Today's episode is kind of a different sort of homicide. Does it involve guns? Yes, it does. However, what kind of makes it different is in that it involves minors. That's right, folks. Minors with guns. It's, yeah, it's a sad one. So we're going to do our best to just go through the details together. And then at the end, we'll kind of reassess, collect our thoughts, and break down the case in our own way. You know, so let's just go through the series of misfortunate events uh, together and break down the details as we know them. This article was originally published in the Brown County Democrat on August 9th, 2022. So this is a new story, y'all. It's a new breaking story to Brown County. It only happened a few weeks ago this month. So the original article that was published in the Brown County Democrat was titled Teen Wave to Adult Court to Face Reckless Homicide, Involuntary Manslaughter Felonies. So the facts as we know them as of today are the following. Luke Robertson, a 17-year-old local teen from Brown County, will be charged as an adult following Judge Mary Wirtz waiving him into adult court. Luke will be facing multiple felonies as well as misdemeanors, all related to a shooting that took place in June and which resulted in the death of 17-year-old Aiden Lentz. Under an Indiana code, prosecutors can allow juveniles to be tried as adults if the child is charged with something that would be considered a felony if it was committed by an adult. Think along the lines of the previous case we covered called Two Teen Boys Kill Neighbor, where 13-year-old Blade Reed and 18-year-old Benny Reed were charged as adults in the murder of their elderly neighbor. On June 29th, Luke was charged with reckless homicide, which is a level 5 felony, voluntary manslaughter, which is a level 5 felony, pointing a firearm, a level 6 felony, and dangerous possession of a firearm, which is a class A misdemeanor. So side note, in case you're not aware the age where you can own a firearm and possess it in indiana is 18 which both aiden and luke were 17 
So just keep that in mind. In June, the county coroner and EMS personnel arrived on the scene of a home near the Parkview neighborhood at around 9 a.m. They were responding to a report of a juvenile that was found deceased in the home. Aiden was found in the home having been killed by a gunshot wound to the head. This was declared to be the cause of death, according to the coroner, Earl Piper, who had arrived on the scene. Piper ruled the death to be a homicide, that is, that Aiden's death had been caused by another person and not himself. Aiden would have been a senior at Brown County High School, and he lived currently at his grandmother's home. So I assume his grandmother was the one that reported having found him deceased, which is just terribly sad. So a hearing is set for July 27th at the Brown County Courthouse, where the judge on the case heard testimony of whether or not Luke should be tried as an adult. Luke's parents testified during the trial, as well as Detective Brian Schrader, who had been there at the scene of the crime. Chief Deputy Prosecutor Rob Seat stated during the trial that the state believes the first step towards rehabilitation of Luke would be for him to face his consequences of his actions, and that in order to ensure rehabilitation, the trial would need to take place in adult court. Luke's attorney went on to state that Luke is someone who is willing to do what is right and will take responsibility for his actions without having to be tried as an adult on the charges. The attorney went on to state, as a direct quote, there should be no presumption that he should be waived to an adult court. It is in the best interest of the community for him to get proper redirection. I think there's more power in juvenile court, more counseling, and more ways to fashion an appropriate response. Brown County Juvenile Probation Officer Hannah Olden testified to the fact that she was receiving good reviews of Luke's behavior while he was in juvenile detention, and that he was actively engaged in classes and completing his coursework. Luke completed his sophomore year of high school but had missed over 50 days of school last year. His mother claimed that was due to him taking care of her while she was struggling with health issues and as well as looking after the family dog. His mother... Luke's mother, testified that her son is one to admit when he has done wrong and that he will take whatever steps necessary to right those wrongs. Luke's parents and aunt wanted Luke to be returned to their care and home while awaiting the verdict of the trial. However, it was recommended that Luke return to the juvenile detention facility, which he ultimately returned to. Luke stated during the trial that he would do whatever the court ordered him to do. Following the judge's ruling to waive Luke into adult court, appeared in court for another initial hearing on August 1st. Members of Aiden's family were there, but did not testify. Now we're going to get into a summary of the investigation itself. So when the EMS and the coroner arrived on the scene and the details they witnessed there and their accounts of the crime. So here we go. At 9 a.m. on June 25th, EMS and the coroner's office were notified by police that a 17-year-old identified later to be Aiden was deceased. Dispatch said that the initial 911 call had been Luke. So Luke was the person that called 911 to report Aiden having sadly passed away. And that Luke reported to police on the 911 call that, and I quote, Aiden had been messing with a firearm and it had gone off killing him. Luke stated the same story to all of the personnel when they arrived at the scene. Aiden had been shot in the head in Luke's bedroom. In Luke's bedroom, police reported having found a jacket hanging on the wall of Luke's bedroom that had a hole in it. So the jacket hanging on the wall had a hole in it. As well as there being a hole in the wall 
behind the jacket. So jackets on wall has a hole. They remove the jacket from the wall and the wall also has a hole in it. Outside the home, a bullet hole was found where the bullet had exited the wall and the bullet itself was found on a neighbor's property. The hole in the bedroom wall and outside of the house was determined to be that of the same bullet that had killed Aiden. The gun that had been used was found on a love seat in Luke's bedroom. The gun, when it was found, had one live round still in the chamber, meaning that at the time of the shooting, there were two live rounds in the gun. While officers and personnel were examining the scene, a medic told the deputy that Luke was changing his story and now wanted to talk to police. Luke then told police that he had actually been the one cleaning the gun when it had gone off and killed Aiden. He stated he was holding the gun when it went off in his hands and that it killed Aiden. Luke said that the gun was actually Aiden's gun and that Aiden had brought it over to have him and Luke clean it together. After they put the gun back together, it just, and I quote, went off, and that Luke thought the gun had been empty. They tested Luke's blood that had been found at the scene to see if he had been under the influence of alcohol or drugs when the shooting took place. On June 26th, an autopsy was conducted on Aiden, and the pathologist reported that the entrance wound on the victim's face was a hard contrast gunshot wound which what that means is that the gun had been pressed hard into the victim's face, meaning that the gun had to have been intentionally pressed hard into Aiden's face at the time that he was shot, not just lightly touching it like Luke's story kind of made it out to be. Not only that, but the gun had been pressed so hard against Aiden's face that there were two barrel impressions that had been left on Aiden's face. After the autopsy was conducted, the deputy met with the Brown County prosecutors to review the evidence that had been collected and discovered during the autopsy. The deputy stated that due to the fact that the evidence from the autopsy showed that the gun had been hard-pressed into the victim's face when he was shot changed the case and the nature of the reckless act. Now, it should be noted that Luke's statement and story he stuck to never once mentioned him pressing a gun into Aiden's face. The deputy was able to meet with a witness that had been there at the time of the shooting, and the witness, when asked if Luke had ever pointed a firearm at them, stated that Luke had, in fact, pointed a gun at them, but that they weren't sure if it was the same gun that had been used to kill Aiden. A jury trial is set for September 19th, and if convicted, a level 5 felony carries up to six years incarceration with an advisory sentence of three years. So that's the details of the case as we know them thus far. Obviously, there's going to be a jury trial on September 19th, and when we get the results from that jury trial, I'll share and update you all on how the case ended, what the verdict was. But, oh, what a sad, terrible story. It's just, it's interesting when you have these types of cases, right? Like, true crime case cases. And the thing about true crime and crimes in general it's hard to cover the facts unless you're like really smart and conniving and like understand police, you know, protocol and like are pretty high up in that realm. Then you could probably get away with the crime fairly easy. But for for common people, you know, the secret isn't in the sauce anymore, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like it becomes very easy once investigators and coroners and people like that get involved in these cases to kind of break down and actually tell the story of what actually happened based on the evidence, which is what happened here, right? So like you get this kid who calls Luke. He calls the 911 and is like, oh, I was cleaning a gun and it went off and it killed my friend, right? And so you're like, oh, okay. So you're not necessarily thinking along the lines of being a homicide. 
because you're just hearing what this person's telling you. Then you arrive at the scene and the scene tells a different story, right? So he clearly hid the... I don't know if Luke was like smart enough to think to hide the hole of where the bullet like exited the home. That's just odd to me because like also the jacket had a hole. So maybe you just didn't notice so that, that's an interesting aspect to me that kind of jumped out as I was reading the story. And then the fact that the gun was pressed so hard into Aiden's face that it left the impression of the barrel marks of the gun on his face when they like were investigating his body for the autopsy. Do you know how hard you have to press a gun into someone's face to leave behind such intense and extensive impression marks that they can still see them after that person has been shot in the head? I don't know. That changed the whole case for me. Honestly, like that fact, and I think it changed the case for a lot of the investigators as well, it seemed like, to the point where like the deputy went to the uh, to the coroner to confirm that that was what happened. And then they took that report to the prosecutors and were like, look, like there's clearly intention here and malice. Like you don't just accidentally shoot someone in the head in this specific way that Aiden was killed. Like there was intention, there was malice there, and Luke knew what he was doing. Like there was intention. It wasn't an accident. This gun didn't just go off by being cleaned. This was, I'm going to kill Aiden. And that's just so sad. I mean, I'm glad that they found it out and that all evidence pointed towards that being the case. It's just so sad for Aiden. He was 17 years old. He's going to be a senior. It's, just, oh, it's terrible. And also what's interesting too is that they were able to find a witness that had been there the night of when the shooting took place that stated that they had had a gun pointed at them by Luke. So it sounds like this Luke kid has, like, some severe anger problems. Not that that is an excuse by any means. However, I'm just stating this. Because if we look at those past cases we've covered of, like, similar type instances of homicide, specifically with guns, and looking at that one where the two teen boys killed their elderly neighbor. Again, it's not an excuse. However, those two teen boys, similar to Luke, had like severe behavioral and like anger issues that stemmed from abuse they were suffering from their family. So it's just like, you know, there's all of these little pieces that you're putting together in the story of evidence. It's hard because you want justice, obviously, for Aiden and his family, and they deserve justice and they need justice or any semblance of justice that can be served in instances like that where a, a child's life is taken by someone else. Like, that's horrific and terrible, and I can't imagine what his family must be going through and everyone that's ever known Aiden. It's, it's horrible. However, I do think that it is important to think about the implications of incarceration in adult prison on children, right? Because, like, there are severe implications when children are placed in adult prisons. I know we have this, like, tendency when wanting and seeking justice, especially in homicide and murder cases where children are involved or children are the ones that have committed the murder, to seek justice in a way that we feel like is fulfilling and that would be seeking the harshest sentence, which would be having that child who has committed that act, that terrible act, to be tried as an adult. And I just feel like 
there can be severe implications on that. And I'm not saying that in all instances it's wrong to do that, but I do think that there needs to be more of an assessment on whether or not having a child be convicted and tried as an adult and then put in adult prison is the best thing if rehabilitation is the primary focus. And I say that because in this specific case, they talked about rehabilitation a lot, and it was something that was focused on a lot in his trial and in the ways that both parties kind of were working on creating their case. And so I think that if rehabilitation is the primary goal when children are involved in, for example, a murder trial. I don't know if placing a child into an adult prison is the best way to go about rehabilitating that child because you have to think about it. The harshest sentence Aiden could receive is up to six years in adult prison within three years being heavily monitored after that and I just don't know what type of person a child would be after serving six years in an adult prison. Because another aspect of this is, much like Hannah, the juvenile probation officer stated, was like juvenile court and juvenile prisons, detention facilities, have a lot more resources and money dedicated to them in helping them rehabilitate the children that are in those facilities, right? So they have lots of therapy. They have lots of ways that they can help those children when they are released have some form of ability to function as a person when inevitably they're released back into the world. However, adult prisons do not have that for those children that are placed in them. You know, adult prisons, at least in America, are a lot of them are privatized. A lot of them have been accused of severe abuse of the inmates Everyone has such, like, extreme opinions on this, right? Because a part of you is like, oh, well, they needed justice and they did these terrible things, so then they deserve to have, like, the worst life ever. But another part of it is, is, like, a lot of them get to get out. So would you rather have someone that's released who has super violent tendencies, who has all of this suppressed rage and anger still, has been severely abused in that prison and made everything worse, and now they're out in the world, kind of free to do whatever they want? Or would you rather have those people that are released be able to have some form of semblance of normality in terms of being able to work and, like, be a semi-functioning member of society, you know? So you kind of just have to, like, weigh that out and think about that. And there have been a lot of studies done of the implications of placing children in adult prisons, and it's not great, okay? I think, you know, we could probably all kind of, without reading those reports, if you're interested, they are out there and they're easy to find, Um, Because this has been a heavily dialogued, heavily discussed, heavily researched topic by lots of psychologists, lots of criminologists. I mean, like, everyone has been in the criminal justice world has been really heavily, like, looking at this because it is something that does have repercussions and implications. So there's a lot to think about here and unpack here. It's also tough, too, because Indiana is, is, so not all states obviously allow children to be tried as adults, first of all. Second of all, Indiana is one of the few, I will say, that does allow that, and that code is used a lot. People 
especially if a life of another one another person is taken and a child is the one that did it or is being assumed to be the person that did it there is a 99% chance that that child will be tried as an adult it is very rare and i don't know that i've actually seen it and i do a lot of study guys i do a lot of research guys about indiana stories specifically brown county and i've not seen a case yet a homicide case yet that has involved a child who has committed murder against someone else that child not be tried as an adult it is like a 99.9% chance that, that kid that child is going to be tried as an adult. So it's also interesting to me about that as well. I don't know. I don't think there's a right answer. Honestly, it's sad. It's terrible and horrible. And I feel so, my heart goes out to Aiden and his family. And it's so sad and, and terrible. And honestly, I, I'm not going to lie. I do feel kind of sad for Luke because there is a great, great chance that he will be in adult prison. And it's interesting too, because in that um, case that we covered about the two teen boys that killed their elderly neighbor, they're both up for parole very soon. This year, if if not, if I'm remembering right, next year, one of them had a terrible time in prison and is not, in my opinion, after everything I've read about them, they're not in a, in a place where <laughs> when they get out, they're going to be a functioning member of society. And the other one has really tried to do everything they can to be a functioning member of society. So I don't know. It, there's a lot, there's just a lot of implications and I wish it was something that our criminal justice system could get a little bit um, more updated on in terms of listening to research, listening to those statistics, listening to the professionals in the field that are advocating for other options for minors rather than trying them as adults because I think it's an instance of the law not being updated to the modern times. Just something to think about and keep in mind. But that was today's case. Like I said, it's a sad one and one that's still ongoing. I will do another episode where we update on what happened after that trial and if those notes are released to the public. Whether or not they're released, I should be able to find out the verdict regardless. And I can update everybody on that and what the judge decides on that case, or not the judge, I suppose, the jury, because he's getting a jury trial. So that will be even more interesting to see how the jury sways and what their thoughts are. Again, I don't think it matters if there's a jury trial or not. To me, in my mind, having looked at previous cases very similar to this one, I would assume that he will be placed in adult prison and given the harshest sentence. But that's just my opinion. Uh, Based off other cases, it could be totally different depending on who they have on the jury. So we'll see on that and see how it goes. Next episode is an interesting one. It's kind of like a closing out of the summer months and on to the spooky season, which is my personal uh, favorite season. If you're new here, I, hi, my name is Larkin. I love Halloween. Halloween's the best holiday. I will fight people on that. I'm so excited and have such an amazing series of spooky, scary stories for the month of October. To ramp it up for that and closing out those summer months, I had to do a little fun summer ending episode. So the next episode I release is going to be about a series of unusual creatures that were captured in Lake Monroe. And when I tell you that one of those creatures just might have been a shark, a live shark caught in Lake Monroe, I am not lying. I am so excited. There is just an insane amount of interesting creatures that they've caught in Lake Monroe. And honestly, it makes me never want to go in a lake again. Because, you know, as a kid, I used to be afraid of the lake and I used to assume that there were like alligators and stuff in the lake because it's just scary. Like, water's scary. 
in my opinion. And so the thought and now the knowledge of that these creatures have been caught in Lake Monroe makes me just go and reconfirm my fear of water. So check in next time for that fun episode where we break that all down as we always do. And in the meantime, as we always say here on the pod, stay safe, stay hydrated, and I'll see you next time. Bye!